Welcome to the Closer and Closer podcast, a podcast about expanding your creative capacity. Each week, we interview inspiring creatives to help you grow your freelance career. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Closer and Closer podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Andrea Mejia-Madriz, and I'm part of the Artist Marketing and Partnerships team here at Closer and Closer. I have the wonderful pleasure of introducing you to my two super talented, super amazing co-hosts today, Drew Melton and Dave Arcade. What's up, guys? Today, I want to introduce somebody very special. His name is Butler Looney. He's a creative director at Ginger, an on-demand mental health care company. After beginning his career in design in Dallas, Texas, he moved to San Francisco, California with his scientist wife, Dara, Dara, I'm so sorry, who is much <laughs> smarter than him. Most of Butler's free time is spent with his wife, and son writer, who has been described as an objectively cute, adorable baby. Welcome, Butler. Thank you. Thank you very much. What an intro, truly. I, I know Dave probably felt uncomfortable saying that your wife is smarter than you. No, my uh, wife's smarter than me. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My oh, wife has sure. a PhD in microbiology, so she's she's like just objectively smarter than me. So everything you say it's is just dumb a fact. To her. Yeah, it's just a fact. Obviously. Science. It's science. <laughs> and and what, what's the cor- uh, correct pronunciation of her name? Was it? It's Dara, like Sarah okay, with a D. One Everyone right. gets it wrong. She's, yeah. she's used to it. Don't worry, Dave. Okay. We'll get it right eventually. We'll get there. Every podcast, somebody has a weird name, and I'm just like... <laughs> and to uh, past uh, guests, you don't have weird names. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, Butler, it's so good to have you on the show. And to start, I just wanted to kind of talk about how we started working together a couple yeah. of years ago and one of our early projects, which I remember, I think you were at Sterling and right. you had picked up our artist guide. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it was, it was that simple. Uh, it, it speaks to the power of print marketing, but I think Still you works. guys had sent out that, it might've been the holiday one where it was the postcards that were letter okay. pressed. And then there was the artist guide. And I mean, I, I literally flipped through that kind of looking for artists. And I, I think I uh, was Travis. Travis Peich, yep. I, we really liked his style because when we were redoing J.R. Watkins, which is a pretty cool brand, it's this like soap lotion brand that started in Watkins, Minnesota for basically people that were like for loggers who had like dry <laughs> chapped hands. It has kind of this. That's the background? Yeah, this is the real background. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, oh, I went to Watkins, Minnesota. Um, You don't need to go. I went for you. Um, (laughs) Okay, uh, appreciate that. I went to like their original place. And yes, I had this interesting history. And but they really hadn't changed it in a long time. And so we wanted to keep this apothecary look and feel and like this history. And so Travis had this kind of like rustic kind of woodcut look that we wanted to have for like the whole things. And and so, yeah, so I reached out. He was like, hey, you've got this guy. He does woodcut looking stuff. And uh, yeah, that, that's how I met all those years ago. I just love that you can now buy J.R. Watkins at Target or any other store, you know, next to like the, the baby wipes and things like that. And that used to be for loggers. So it shows how yeah. a brand can evolve. Well, yeah. and their primary uh, distribution outlet for a while was Cracker Barrel stores. Oh, so really? You, you went from, from loggers to the Cracker Barrel. So, you know, Susie in the Midwest is like, oh, this, this hand soap is so nice, Jared. We should get this, you know. <laughs> like at the yeah. Cracker Barrel, she's having this experience. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. 
The spirit of a logger is inside the cracker barrel inside the jail. <laughs> Alive and well. Have you ever ran into a barrel of crackers? That is a lot of crackers. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, it's going to be hard for me not to just be laughing most of the time on this podcast, I can tell. Um, yeah, I'll have but, to, Andre, you're going to have to keep us tight. Yeah, we're going to have to cut a lot of this out, all the laughter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the final product will be 30 seconds. Yeah, it'll just be 30 <laughs> seconds of very stoic conversation. Yeah, A lot of it'll, laughter around the topic of mental health. Yeah. It'll get serious. We'll get there. Um, but yeah, we've worked together for a while now. And what we were talking about before the show was just kind of, um, you've kind of kept with us over the years and brought us along with you. And now you're at Ginger. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell us a little bit about your role at Ginger and kind of um, as the creative director there, you know, how you see your role in bringing art to accomplish the mission there. So I've been there two years and two years in the online mental health space. It's almost done like the leap of the 10 years of evolution in two. And a lot of that's unfortunately because of the pandemic and just people being more apt to use online tools, things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But when I started, there weren't that many other people in the marketplace. And the only way to visualize mental health at the time, you would go on these websites of, of our competitors. It was it was a sad person, sepia tone photo looking out the window on a rainy day. Mm-hmm. And that was almost all you had out there. And so I knew right away that one, I didn't want things to be sad because mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, just because you have anxiety doesn't mean you're sad or you're gonna get better. It's just sometimes just dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, to be able to visualize very complex things for which there is no stock photo, there is no easy, you know, clip art for. Mm-hmm. And so illustration was just sort of the natural choice to show things that there really is no tangible thing. It's just sort mm-hmm. of a concept. And so that's when I reached out to you and, and you and I kind of, you know, saw really quickly that would be a really good like this, that illustrated be a good kind of jumping off point. We've just kind of continued with it. And it's really helped build out that visual identity system we have. It's something we, we lean on really heavily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the things we talked about, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but I thought other creatives or, um, you know, people in our artist representation team would be interested in hearing about this. But one of the things that sort of allowed the relationship to work was that we would meet you in the middle on it. You know, when we, we were talking about, you guys are technically in the tech company, category as a mental health company um, which for a lot of people ends up meaning large budgets but you guys are you're young you're a startup and you're sort of getting your feet underneath you so what's been interesting what was cool for me to hear about is how us working together to find you know um, adequate pricing and scope and licensing terms that worked for everyone has really allowed you guys to build some momentum in your branding could you talk just a little more about that from your perspective yeah, it really, it really has. And I think we were very, very willing early on to know those levers that we had to, to pull to sort of get the budgets where we needed them. So mm-hmm. is it we're not going to do full rights buyout on everything and using mm-hmm. the common sense of let's say we do a case study on a client. Well, that that thing is going to evolve in two years later we're probably gonna need to update it anyway. So let's just do like a two year agreement on this spot piece because that's all it needs. So Mm -hmm. being judicious with where we needed full rights buyout, where we didn't, 
how many mm-hmm. rounds of revisions. So one of the mm-hmm. nice things about being small and lean is the approvals are like maybe just me. And yep. so trying to really dial down the number of revisions, how much stuff we're doing, giving you guys really, really tight briefs. We try really mm-hmm. hard to give a tight brief, but allow enough room to give artists freedom mm-hmm. to do something mm-hmm. they're going to be really happy with. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we we are technically a tech company. When I started, we were 38 people. So it's wow. mm-hmm. it's not like we were we were this massive organization. I mean, we were only a, a tiny, tiny company that happened to serve up whatever they're doing through like, you know, a technology platform. Yeah. Well, and I like that story, too, because I think for people who are negotiating with people, you know, who are on the brand side like you, which is more and more common, there's more brands that are reaching out directly to work with freelance illustrators to create their sort of brand asset library and put together collateral. And it's not an all or nothing game. I think people either on the client side or artist side end up getting caught up and, you know, they want to own their artwork forever. They think, you know, they've got to have it. You know, if we buy this, if we're going to pay for it, we might as well own it. And they end up limiting a lot of the possibility to really get some, you know, usually what you do in the first couple of years is not going to be the stuff you use 10 years from now anyway. Right. So giving people, I just wanted to share that with people because there's so much opportunity to negotiate. And that's one of the things that we've always appreciated about working with you is we've, you know, found ways to make projects work in terms of budget and usage and all of that kind of stuff. And um, it's been a really, really good ongoing relationship. So, well, and I think if you encourage your clients to think about it less as illustration and more as just a visual asset, so photography is another visual asset, another thing mm-hmm. you you have in your in your quiver. Mm-hmm. People people know to update photography. They think about that all the time. You know, mm-hmm. any marketing person, we got to update that. You know, we they've seen that person so much. We need to to have something new. Oh, mm-hmm. those styles are out. We need. It's a natural evolution, but I think mm-hmm. illustration also continues in that same vein mm-hmm. as, like you said, the company grows, things change. We don't office, offer that service anymore, so we need to tweak it. You know, it's going to mm-hmm. continue in that same way. And so as long as you think of your visual assets as evolving, I think that's how you kind of wrap your mind around it and kind of help your marketing department or whomever kind of mm-hmm. adopt that kind of growth mindset. Yeah, well, I have a question real quick. So I. I've been thinking as you guys are chatting, how come you didn't go with me as the illustrator? <laughs> I'm on the roster. I mean, there's this is only an hour. I don't know if we have the time <laughs> to really yeah. get into that myriad of, of reasons. I, I mean, I just pretty, think yeah. that, that your magic eye style is just a little dated. I mean, I like staring into him. Um, He's that, just kidding, guys. That, He's joking. It's all the dolphin. <laughs> that dolphin is incredible. Um, but... <laughs> No, but I think that's really interesting what you guys were uh, talking about, because something that we always try to do it closer and closer is like building those relationships. And that's not going to happen if you don't, you know, have a little bit of back and forth and try to help out your clients as much as you can and, and genuinely just try to get them the best, you know, piece of creative or the best help that you can be. Um, So it really helps with like the development of that relationship too, because I'm sure that if we had told you, you know, this is going to be X amount of money and you have to pay it or, you know, go away. We wouldn't be here right now. So yeah, there's, well, that, there, there's like a take it or leave it mentality that can sort of creep into those negotiations on both sides and, mm-hmm. you know, opening it up as a conversation about what's possible is really helpful. Well, and also like to kind of, I know we're joking about Dave's question, but there's a, there's a serious answer in that we were also flexible in, who we wanted to do this. Like we, we had a timeline and a budget and it, there was a lot of like 
throw it over the wall and like who's sure. around who can take this and sure. and you know it, it's also been really interesting that we've worked with so many different of you know artists that you guys have it's like well so and so is not available so and so is on paternity leave so yeah how about these people okay great yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, totally. And that I think that flexibility, especially early on, um, just gives you a lot of freedom and a lot of options. Um, so for any artist listening or anyone who's in like a sort of agent producer buyer position, you know, exploring and thinking about other options when it comes to negotiating about art, you know, because there is a world in which, you know, maybe the, the, the client doesn't have as large of a budget. But they don't need they actually don't need a full usage buyout, you know, and the artist can retain the, the rights to their work. Um, and there's just a lot of creative ways that you can make it happen. And, you know, for you guys now, how would you how do you think about your branding? Like, I think we're about a year in ish to working together. Maybe yeah, you know, we're at Ginger for a little bit. But, you know, where, where has that gotten you to at this point, you know, creatively as a brand, you know, all these illustration assets? I mean, it's. It's been great to have kind of built to build the library and continue to build the library. And it's allowed us to be a lot more agile. Like there's there's things that we maybe don't even use right out the gate. Um, Barbara did something for us recently and, and it was for this. We call them activity cards. It's something like a piece of content a coach can assign you. And that particular activity card got scrapped, um, mm. which is fine. But mm -hmm. we still had that illustration kind of in our in our toolbox. And then come forward, someone wrote like a, a one of our coaches wrote a piece on Medium about um, kind of self-image. And that illustration was like perfect for it. So we were able to sort of bring that back and kind of repurpose it. So we've we've kind of grown this like toolkit of the pieces we have. And a lot of times we will like continue to kind of develop them, even if we know they might not see the light of day right away. It might happen mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that totally yeah. answers that, but yeah, no. Well, and I've kind of distracted us from the the main topic, which is mental health. <laughs> Thanks, Drew. Um, uh, let's just talk about art and uh, how great we are at negotiating with clients. <laughs> it's a riveting yeah. topic. Riveting topic. <laughs> oh, oh, to man. take the reins from Drew, so that he doesn't continue to dive deeper into this this realm of conversation. Um, I have. I think it's so interesting because you know you obviously weren't always in the mental health space. No. Um, so my question for you is just, were you always passionate about mental health in your own, you know, personal life or did your position at gender really help develop this passion? And like, if so, you know, how has that, that love and care for mental health grown in the past years that you've been there? Yeah, it, it's an interesting question because it is something that I've been passionate about. something that's, that's helped me like in my personal life, overcoming like panic attacks when I was very young having a mom who's a psychiatrist psychologist mm. uh, my sister's a social worker my grandmother was a social worker in rural mississippi so having that in <clears throat> in my background was something that i was you know kind of cognizant of but when i i remember talking with christine our cmo initially we were we were just we're friends and i was kind of helping her do this rebrand i eventually kind of did it on this kind of freelance basis and it you know then turned into this position but i wasn't exactly sure that I was going to, I was like, ah, this online mental health thing, is this, this fly by night company, is this ever going to take off? You know, there was, there was some trepidation there, but I remember I reached out to, so my grandmother and I were very close at the time she was like 95 and I called her and I was like, okay, 
you get two votes on if I take this job because <laughs> you you know you've got some knowledge. And she mm-hmm. she was sharp as a tack, and uh, and I explained it to her, and you know. When I was explaining it to her, I was using all these terms like AI, machine learning, because we use a lot of technology to help our coaches, things that I thought were going to go totally overhead. And, and she didn't miss a beat. She was just like, if I had that, when I was doing social work in rural Mississippi, I didn't have to drive everywhere. It would have been a game changer. You should take this job. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. That's Mama so Sue, you get two votes. So, and, and so was, here you are. Was so. it just because of her background? Was that the main reason that you you went to her kind of seeking her input on it well we were she and i were always just super tight but yeah it was her background and also it was sort of that litmus test of like okay this seems really i mean it doesn't seem as um as strange now the concept of online mental health care but it was really bizarre two years ago i mean Mm -hmm. my father-in-law cannot fathom who would use this (laughs) i mean whenever we were at dinner he would just get incensed about like but why would somebody and i i don't know man uh why are we yelling in a restaurant? Um, Why are we but, yelling at the Cracker Barrel? Yeah. <laughs> having this nice meal at the Cracker Barrel and you've ruined it. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was her background. And then if if someone who's sort of not sitting in Silicon Valley around on this tech, if they could still say, independent of all of that, this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. I think that was really valuable. Mm-hmm. I, I just have to kind of go back for a second. Moms can be very critical anyway. You know, I grew up with two sisters and my mom would always be like, are you getting fat? And I said, like, right in front. But having a mom who's a psychiatrist, is that a different, like, sort of insult level? Like, I've no- I noticed the insecurity <laughs> as you're buttering that toast. Is that because last week when Tony pushed you? Like, so, is, it, is it? My mom works mostly with teens and parents. And when I was a kid... This seems weird now. It did not seem weird at the time, but she would just like drag me up on stage with her when she would like give these talks to like PTA groups and whatnot and be like, here's my son Butler. He's going to talk about, you know, (laughs) his challenges as a teen. Um, Yeah. You were cool uh, with that? Like that didn't scare the crap out of you? No, I thought it was kind of fun. Um, Wow. Maybe it's why I kind of don't mind public speaking now, but. Yeah, in hindsight, you're like, wait, she did what? Like, I was like the, was like the prop. <laughs> you used me. I, yeah, I would, I would just think that would be terrifying. That Seinfeld joke that more people are scared of public speaking than dying, so at a funeral you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> Not for Butler. Not, Not for, for Butler. Butler. No. Nice. When you were talking about, you said you struggle with mental health and anxiety. Is that something you're willing to talk about in terms of your own background with it? Yeah. So when I was in college, um, and I, you know, nothing was, and this is the crazy thing that I think why it's important to talk about is everything was kind of going fine. You know, you're having your college life, everything's good. And I remember I was walking out to like go to dinner and out of nowhere, like had this panic attack. Mm. Like there was no trigger. There was no, like I'm having a bad day. Uh, and mm-hmm. they just kept happening. And I was fortunate in this respect to have mom who is a psychologist and because I didn't know what it was. Um, Mm. And she was able to identify that and then get me help through a psychiatrist friend of hers who I worked with for just a series of months to Mm. really start to overcome that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was invaluable, you know? Mm -hmm. And, And I think part of what that taught me is I was very fortunate because I'm, I'm very old. So this was before like Google or something like that. So, I mean, finding help back then 
was mm-hmm. a bit of a word of mouth. And so mm-hmm. having the privilege of having a mom who's a psychologist, who has a friend, who's a psychiatrist, who can then get me in, you know, somebody's mm-hmm. probably fairly booked. I mean, I was very, very fortunate. So that was another thing with Ginger is seeing a lot of times it's, I see it more also with, with younger generations, but using your design powers for good mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. being able to do that, I think was definitely a draw to this company mm-hmm. and opening access to people because that is part of the mission of the company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the young designers, if, if any of them listen to this, um, I do notice, like when I was coming up and I'm, I'm very much a Gen Xer, all we cared about is you do the best design. doesn't matter mm-hmm. where you work. Mm-hmm. You know, I've worked at places and I've had friends that work at places with very bad toxic cultures, but you didn't care. You know, I'm mm-hmm. doing the best stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not always the case now. A lot mm-hmm. of people come to me and they're like, hey, I just like the mission. I want to do something that's valuable. And I think just seeing more of that in the world is encouraging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, cool. um, we, we do, um, we've just started this this year, but we're, we do book reports every month. We, everyone reads a book in the company. And one of, one of our employees, Cindy, the financial controller, she read a book called Thou Shalt Prosper. And it's, it was written by a rabbi who he's actually uh, here in L.A. And he huh. actually talks about business as a sort of form of doing like social good. And oh, it's he, fascinating. So one of the things I just read in there was he was saying like businesses should be focused on doing good rather than giving back. And it's not either or. I don't think that that has to be that dichotomy doesn't have to be that strong. But he was kind of trying to make a point that the business activity shouldn't be separated between, you know, here's where we make our money over here. And then here's where we sort of give back. They should sort of be intertwined and, you know, in the functions of the business should be doing good. Um, so I think I think that's sort of there's kind of an old and a new idea that are emerging yeah. right now in our generation, which is, I think, exciting. I think I, it's I, good. Yeah, I really like it when you have a business because Ginger very much is a very feels like a very safe, nurturing place to work. I kind of miss being back in our offices. Uh, the mm-hmm. downfall of that is people, when they feel very safe with you, will just come up and tell you they don't like something even though you did not make it for them, or are they in your department? So I'll just be, I, was, I would be walking the halls, and people would be like, hey, Butler, that, uh, that thing you guys did, I, yeah, I don't like it. Don't like cool. it. Cool. Th- Everyone's being thanks. so authentic. Thanks, yeah. thanks for your input. I respect you. Um. Then they walk away with that good feeling of like, I did it. I was honest. I'm sticking to what I said I was going to do. Like, I'm so glad I could help you. Butler's recovering for the next week. Yeah. He's just like, oh. I was really proud of that. Oh, well. Yeah, well, can, it's bring, really funny. And bringing it back to the anxiety thing. So I actually, this is going to sound crazy. I didn't realize my own connection to this because, Dave, you were actually on a podcast where we were getting ready to record. Yeah. Uh, it was our representation well, chat. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Dave and I were going to do just sort of a, almost like a fireside, like one-on-one conversation about representation and all this stuff. And this was probably back in August or so, mm-hmm. maybe July. And I had an, a panic attack out of the blue. Yeah. And, you know, I ne- what's funny about anxiety and I think even depression is for a lot of people who are experiencing it, they actually don't realize that they have it. Um, they don't realize that it's something that is going on in their life. Uh, in our situation, we were living in a house we found out with toxic mold and uh, my wife and I got both really sick. We're still recovering from it. So we've taken, it's been a blend of physical stuff and 
mental stuff and we work with a doctor, we do something called, there's a Stephen Porges, uh, he's a PhD researcher. Um, he talks about polyvagal theory, which is something we do, which retrains your nervous system to feel safe. And so, um, you know, it's been really interesting because that's been a huge part of our journey over the last six to nine months is dealing with incredible anxiety um, wow. and just feeling uh, having an anxiety attack almost every day. Like that was my almost constant is wake up and you have anxiety you go to that's bed with anxiety. And yeah, I was, there was, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. No, no, no. Go for it. Oh, I, I just was going to say like, it was real. Like I was, I was worried because to me, you know, you're, you're one of these people that have like helped change my life and put a lot of really good ideas into my head and things that I can actually put into practice and mm -hmm. took some, some big chances. And so like, you know, like even being older than you, there's times where I look up to you, but mostly look down. No. Um, <laughs> and, and I was like, and as we're starting, I was like, holy smoke, this is a, I was worried. I was like, yeah. you know, but you're, you came back. The kryptonite's gone. <laughs> but that's the but scary thing about, it. I think that's, what's good about being at Ginger and raising sort of these things into the public sphere is they often don't happen according to this kind of like, if you were to, to write it in a Hollywood script, oh, the guy is under all this pressure, you know, at work. And then all of a sudden, boom, he has a panic attack. Sometimes, I mean, I literally, you're kind of living the kind of idyllic college life. And then all of a sudden, like, mm -hmm. boom, like just walk into dinner. And I think just normalizing that is great. Mm -hmm. And I also see... One of the things we've been talking about recently is how freely I keep using younger generations, but I think it's true. I do think now it's just more in the cultural zeitgeist. So we've been, mm -hmm. you know, I was reading an article about a, an artist, uh, Claro. Uh, she just put out this new single and she's just right, talking about, hey, I dropped this new single. Uh, yeah, I was working on my mental health. I got some therapy. I felt a lot better. Then I wrote this song. It mm -hmm. wasn't a song about I went and got help. Mm -hmm. It just put her in the space to write a song. And I think that's the difference that we're seeing now. It's not people. It's conversations where you read like the, the profile of the CEO of X Corp. And they talk about during their day, I spend some time, you know, like, like you're saying, you're like working on my mental health and you mm -hmm. know, things of like that. It's, mm -hmm. it's not so binary anymore. Yeah. Well, and talk about, I think we can, this is a good transition. You know, you have some creatives at Ginger. You've worked with creatives. You are creative. Um, you know, how working on your mental health can affect your creativity. And I, maybe Ginger has some information on their back end of how it affects people in their work and in their life and all that kind of stuff. So this is the one where I, I did cheat um, <laughs> because I'm not the expert here. But Thank you for have, being honest. Yeah, we have coaches that are just brilliant. Kaylee is, a, is our community manager and she's, she's just so great. So I reached out to her and she had really great things to do for creative specifically because i kind of po posited her and um some of it sounds like common sense but i think putting it in action is is harder and one is just like get moving you know when you start your day just have an action plan you know is it you make your bed you do this i you know I, i'm very lucky in that i'm i'm very busy you know, mm -hmm. i have a two-year-old that adds a lot of structure in my life like that kind of helps she said also like decide also that morning like how you're gonna feel that day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of puts you in that positive mindset, just saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to make some great stuff, whether mm -hmm. you do that or not, just putting you in that space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she, she really, she actually wrote me back later and, and was saying that, um, she's like, I, I know I gave you those tips, but what I really think would be great for creatives is, 
some kind of daily gratitude practice, whether it's mm. journaling or something like that. And not that we want to stereotype all creative people, but I do think we're somewhat more empathetic. Mm-hmm. I think we feel a little bit more. And so a lot of times that that kind of daily gratitude practice of journaling or however you choose to do it is a good way to kind of reinforce the good that's happening out mm-hmm. there and something that she really recommended for, for creatives. Mm-hmm. And with what you're saying, Butler, I was reading about most CEOs or some of these CEOs that you see that are high performing in these fields or whatever, someone that's achieved a lot, even a, a great director or a great creative we tend to notice that they have a, a meditation practice a lot of times or something like that. Um, and I just totally lost the thread that I was going on here, but I'm going to blame it on the mold. Well, <laughs> Kaylee also else. recommends that. So that's another one that she has. Is, um, and she takes it down from a meditation practice, actually intentionally. So mm-hmm. it is meditating. But she mm-hmm. says, look at it as sitting quietly and trying to focus on your breath for three mm-hmm. to five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is meditation. But sometimes when you read about these CEOs that, you know, I wake up in my, you know, 17,000 square foot mansion and I work out on my <laughs> Peloton and then I do my meditation in my meditation room. That's, you know, um, that's really intimidating. But this idea yeah. of just sitting for three to five minutes, you know, just in whatever space at your desk and focusing mm-hmm. your breath makes that a lot more attainable. And I think that's what's, that's also what's kind of key about like what Ginger is doing is making mental health care accessible mm-hmm. and just phrasing it in ways that I, I just think are much more digestible. And actually, we should probably, we, we might be assuming this, but can you tell people how and what they can do with Ginger? What is Ginger for someone who's sort of encountering off the street? Yeah, it's as of now, it's primarily a B2B mm-hmm. offering, right? So it's offered through your you know, your company through like a healthcare benefit. So you get your mm-hmm. medical, your dental, here's your, um, here's your mental health benefit and it's coaching, it's therapy, it's psychiatry kind of all through this, this app. Um, and within that, you know, you you work with a coach on a chat based basis. If you need therapy or psychiatry, they can escalate you. And then they kind of handhold you throughout as you sort of like, if you have to ramp up, you know, or escalated mm-hmm. to say, Therapy, they can also kind of stay with you and make sure you get all your appointments and then like talk to you after you're done. Mm-hmm. We also now do medication management, which is kind of crazy. So oh, it's wow. kind of full service. So you go to therapy. Hey, I really think you could use, you know, something to help manage that anxiety. We're going to send you a prescription mm-hmm. um, and that gets delivered to your house. So it's it's kind of full service. Our mission is to really get this into as many people's hands as possible. Mm-hmm. So eventually we want to get it to where you, Drew, can go on the App Store, download it. The trick is how do you drop what we call like the price per minute to deliver care? And the way you do that is you try to scale, right? So you hire as many coaches, as much infrastructure, um, as many, you know, member support staff as you can Mm -hmm. to then start dropping that cost per minute. So then you go on the app store and it is now, you know, hundreds of dollars a year, not tens of thousands of dollars a year. So that's kind of why we at this time are primarily B2B focused, but we want to ultimately be able to kind of reach as many people as we can that's uh, business is explained by someone who draws pictures for a living so <laughs> no, you did a good job vast that was you nailed it <clears throat> I was gonna say, before the podcast uh, i listened to a conversation with your ceo it was like a half an hour and you just explained sorry ceo you just explained the business better than he did 
It's because yeah. he knows too much. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to him about that. I think, I think it's time <laughs> for a change. Maybe you should be the CEO. Yeah. Maybe you should have the Peloton. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone draw pictures, brother. That's not gonna help our bottom line. I don't care. I'm the CEO now. <laughs> Uh, no, that's good. And I think um, to what Dave said, it's just a testament that you guys have clear mission and purpose in the company, it sounds like. And um, it's not just about making art and moving more of a skew, per se, but about, you know, affecting change in people's lives. Um, yeah. What I liked about it also, as I was listening, is the, the coach's aspect or the, the um, what, what was the first line that you were talking about? Uh like the the text based coaching or the yeah the coaching the people you reach out to day to day yeah um, and just sort of bringing it I think one other part of it is just having people who are it's it's kind of like community but it's not um, and just right now how have you seen COVID affect the mental and emotional health of creatives that you work with and have, you know how have you noticed that impacting people over the last year I mean within people in general. We used to be able to look at usage and we could mm -hmm. tie it to an event. So the first one we saw was the 2016 election. We saw a bump in usage. And so you could, you could pinpoint that. This happened, mm -hmm. usage went up. Mm -hmm. If you look at the beginning of COVID, even to today, that mm -hmm. graph is just an upward trajectory and oh, it wow. has not abated. Um, I don't know mm -hmm. when wow. it will. I hope it will soon, but it's, it's a vastly different thing than before it was sort of you know it, it, you'd see little bumps you'd see little bumps it's just been on the up and mm -hmm. up and i think it's yeah it's been a challenge within our team to kind of make sure we're sensitive to everyone's mental health and it's you know the hard thing too is and, and you guys probably know this is meeting different team members where they are you know mm -hmm. there's some people that have three kids at home there's some that you know might have you know, two kids, but they're in daycare. There's some that don't have any, and you have to kind of pivot, you know, sometimes you actually have to like, you know, the, the one that has say three kids, make sure they're not overworked. The guy that has none. And sometimes you need to make sure you tell that person to slow down. Yeah. And I have one designer and he's just so prolific that I've just say you need to stop. You need to go, you know, go do something else because, because mm -hmm. he's bored, you know? So, mm -hmm. Yeah. He's just going to jam, 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 and that's not healthy. So that, that's kind of been the challenge within our team and just trying to be sensitive to their emotional needs. And for you, you know, working at Ginger and having these mental health tools, obviously growing up with a parent who was in the field and, you know, just having a lot of familiarity, how has this affected your creativity? You know, how has this affected your own, your own work? That's a good question. Um, I think that, I definitely approach it in a more relaxed way, which I think is really weird. I, I definitely mm -hmm. feel a lot more, yeah, a lot more centered, a lot more kind of chill as I'm kind of approaching projects. I think having been at agencies, which I, I really enjoyed, mm -hmm. but you guys, if you've ever been on that side, I mean, it is daily, it is, you know, fires, 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 you know, you, you are... Mm -hmm at the beck and call of the client and, and, you know, mm -hmm. it's their right, they're paying the bills and you, you know, you really have to work hard at account service, but being at something that's, you're driving more toward a mission, you know, kind of this in-house thing. Yeah. I definitely feel a lot more 
calm about it and a lot more like I'm being pulled in fewer directions. Like in, inside the organization, I've done everything from order office supplies to help rebrand the company. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's all it's a little <laughs> bit simpler. And I think it's been nice to just really like hone in and focus. Um, and I feel a lot less distracted, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let me ask you this question. So you're a creative director. That means you have to make a lot of decisions. And uh, I, I was a, an associate creative director for a time, and I hated it because I had to make decisions. <laughs> um, so have any of those come back to haunt you? And also, what's your philosophy on decision-making, and how do you sort of quell the demons at night when you've made the wrong decision? Uh, so there's a, you, you've probably read this book, but it's uh, Creativity, Inc. by Ed Catmull. I have read that book. It's wonderful. It's on my list. I need it's to read it. It's a great book. It's and so I good. Totally adopted the. It's one of the directors, and I'm gonna, I'm not sure which one it is, but he talks about his philosophy when he leads his kind of team. Is he's like, you know, we're gonna go take this hill. Everyone, we're going. We're gonna take this hill. Well, if you get to the top of that hill and you realize, oh, we should have taken the one over there, admit that you're wrong. And then just go, hey, let's go take this other hill. And I think that's how I run my team is to one, show that I'm perfectly fallible. Like, guys, I'm sorry, this this is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and not be afraid to make mistakes. And I think that there was a time, especially in this industry, and I kind of think that kind of early 2000s, you know, when Steve Jobs had just passed and the books were coming out, I think people wanted to be this like very didactic leader and this is my yeah. way or the highway. And that's... That's not the way to do things. I think it's not worrying about those decisions and not thinking you have to be right or have all the answers. Because, I mean, I'm just yeah. one dude. Like, <laughs> I, I mm-hmm. don't know everything. So I think to sleep at night, you have to be able to admit you're wrong and just pivot and go somewhere else. That is a great answer. Yeah, so you don't have the demons if you... I think you have the demons if you don't admit you're wrong. I was listening to... Uh, Mm-hmm. I accidentally follow Gary V on on uh, Instagram, and I say accidentally because <laughs> accidentally. the dude produces too much content. And he's like, "You're going to make so many decisions in your life. You're going to make a hundred decisions a day. Ninety-seven are, are going to be wrong." He's like, "Eff it, you just go for it." And I'm like, "Dude, <laughs> that sounds terrible." <laughs> but I guess if you're in his position, like you do make that many decisions. But to you're him, swinging the bat, you're not a very good baseball player. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like. <laughs> Or if you're a soldier, you're like, you accidentally shoot 97 of your own guys. You just got to move forward. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work in every context. It doesn't. Yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't work with doctors, really. But <laughs> with, that's why we're graphic designers. You know, yeah. like, I drew well, the I, picture. Yeah, no one liked it. Okay, I'll draw another one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things, too, that I think about in current, currently in my journey, because I've been going from freelancer to business owner and now having a team which require very different skill sets every step of the way is what you talked about Butler. Even if you take that hill and it's the wrong hill, the real value to me is what you learned in the process of taking that hill, right? That you can apply to the next thing. So I think a lot of times we get, we end up focused on the objective and did we do the right thing? Did we do the wrong thing and less on the process? Yeah. Yeah. Creative teams. To, to run a creative team, you have to always maintain momentum. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if that momentum goes towards something that doesn't solve it just now, mm-hmm. but later. If you sit there and him and haw, people start mm-hmm. to second guess. They start to lose focus. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't, 
you can't have that. So indecision and momentum, you know, those things are always going to kind of be at odds. So if you maintain that and you keep people motivated and keep them going, I think that's what's going to ultimately get you the best result because they say focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, I, I had a CD who, uh, when I first got into advertising, um, I, that's a whole other story, but he that's would another podcast. Our, Stay tuned. Yeah. He would take <laughs> our work. Like we print stuff out and he'd be looking at it. He'd be sitting in the kitchen and he would just throw it behind. Like he would just throw our work behind him and like fold his arms and sit there. And I'm like, dude, way to stop the fricking train. Like, now what are we going to do? And then he would leave. We'd have to figure, like, the next day he'd come back and he'd apologize for getting upset. But you're talking about momentum. It's like, that's not the way. There's such this old school mentality to to creative directing that I hope is dying about being a huge dick about everything. Oh, absolutely. And I think that it got resurrected a little bit. Again, in that early 2000s, Mad Men was popular. You know, I want to be Don Draper. I want to be Steve Jobs. I, I worked with people who just... You know, they just thought that was cool to just be irascible and difficult. And and there was another philosophy that I noticed that time. There was someone I worked with who his version of creative directing was to point out everything that was wrong. Yeah. So to look at a piece and say, change this, this is wrong, that if you're lost in the weeds, you've kind of lost the objective. You know, you need mm-hmm. to stay at 10,000 feet you know, through the journey. Now, when it's time to say hit print, get it out the door okay, let's look at the kerning, let's look at the, you know, the rag on the copy. But when we're just batting around big ideas, you know, and bad, you know you're getting bad creative direction when someone is being ticky-tack in the weeds. What they're doing is they're hiding. So they're hiding (laughs) their inability to express themselves to kind of drive a vision by trying to say, well, look at me. I am the expert. I'm the expert on kerning and you're not doing it right. So they're trying to sort of disguise their inability. And so I think mm. is, you know, that's one thing people should know, you know, if they're kind of in a bad situation that, that that's why that's happening. And you shouldn't feel intended, intimidated by this person because it's actually they who are not knowing what they're doing. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's I a feel- really good take. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's and it's funny because for me right now, that's so where I'm at in terms of growing the agency is you get confused. People think that good management or good leadership is, like you said, calling out all the little things that you don't like and you feel like it's your responsibility. You know, it can be very you, you have a certain idea in your head of how things should be. But I maybe we could turn this so that, you know, it applies even to creatives. You know, it doesn't all have to be perfect you know every little detail of it as long as sort of the Mm -hmm. bigger thing is there so i'm wondering how could you know clients are going to be clients that's always a a unique dance in terms of that back and forth the artist has their vision and the client has theirs but how can an artist from your perspective you know apply that same concept to their own work you know where they're not getting so caught up in the details and dying you know death by a thousand cuts but going here's the big thing I'm trying to accomplish here. And I can still accomplish that even if it all doesn't fall perfectly. I think it's also a good relationship back and forth. Like Mm. when I hire say photographers too, I, I am not a good photographer, not a good illustrator. Mm -hmm. So you Mm -hmm. have to count on that person and you have to let go as Mm -hmm. say the client enough to let that person do their job. Um, if you try to really art direct it within just a, 
you know, a millimeter of perfect. It's, it's you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about my dad, he's an architect. He's very particular with his taste. Mm-hmm. And I remember he commissioned this painting from this artist and he totally over directed it. Yeah. And he can finally admit now that, that it kind of sucks. Like, cause he <laughs> art directed it so much that like the guy's style was kind of removed from it. It's just kind of meh. And like, mm. he was kind of too proud to admit it at first, but now he's like, yeah, that, that didn't really turn out very well. Yeah. But it was cause he over, he overly art directed it and didn't let that person kind of do their thing. So I think there's a give and take there mm-hmm. about giving that person space and then giving that person th- that ability to try different things and feel mm. comfortable throwing something out there that might not be exactly what you asked for, mm-hmm. um, but ends up nailing. I mean, just, just this project we did with Andrew is a great example. Like mm-hmm. I gave him some direction. It, the reason that piece is successful is all because of Andrew. It is not because of me at all. Can you I talk a little bit? What, what was the piece so that people understand? So we did this piece. It was a case study piece. And when we do these, they're basically back in the before times when we went to trade shows, I, I developed these. I noticed that people would just snap up these case studies because they see a name like Pinterest, Sephora, mm-hmm. and, and they want to know like this works, right? So they would just grab these things, throw them in their bag, move on. But I was like, well, that's not a good real use of, you know, paper and whatnot. So we, we created these kind of, un, they're basically like posters. So you unfold it and we commissioned really beautiful illustrations for the covers and then when you open it once, you read the case, and you fold it up again, and it's like a you know 11 by 17 poster you can kind of hang up in your office. Mm-hmm. So we've maintained that. And so we did this one for Accolade, which helps you basically navigate your healthcare benefits. So it's not an obvious company. And so I re- when I reached out to Andrew and we kind of connected on the brief, I'd said to him, you know, do something that's sort of like wayfinding, with, but it's like a stethoscope, but it's like a maze. Mm. And he did, you know, there were some sketches like that, but then he did this one that where he had made the stethoscope look like this river. And, you know, the end of the stethoscope was this woman's hat, like this big Mm. brim hat. And, you know, it was this clever smile of the mind idea. And when I saw it, you know, I kind of backed off from where I thought it should be. And, And what he had done is imbue it with this sense of this healthcare company is helping you navigate your benefits to live your life. And so Mm. he created something that was much more emotionally resonant and ultimately kind of says probably what that company's mission is better than just something that's purely healthcare focused. And so sure. him kind of going off script totally nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. One, one of the other things I thought about too, is the relate, you know, as we're, we're going through COVID and all, all experiencing some degree of isolation, you know, on a sort of spectrum, depending on if you're a house full of kids yeah. or if you're on your own and you're single in a big city and you're just in a small, you know, studio or a one bedroom, we're all like one of the things that I've been feeling is that people are in some ways learn or um, losing their ability to interact and yeah. to sort of to to work together the way we used to. Yeah. Um, because you can't just go into the office. You can't you know meet up for coffee. You can't sit down at a lunch and talk through things. Um, so you know when you're looking at, I guess the question here would be just. Um, how can artists sort of facilitate a healthy relationship with a client proactively? You know, because we're, we're like, it's all about the work. We got to get to it. What's the timeline? What's the, you know, X, Y, Z? Give me the sort of brief, the breakdown. But how can an artist proactively sort of build a collaborative relationship from a, with a client? I mean, I think that's part of the magic of 
what kind of you have to do on your end is kind of set them up for success, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think you've done a good job there in aligning expectations almost before we kind of get to working with the artist. You know, there's a lot of setup of what are the terms? How's it going to go? What do you really need? What's the brief? So mm-hmm. by the time they get it, they they have a, a sense and can be a little bit more comfortable with how this is going to go. Mm-hmm. So I think what you guys do is a good job of sort of blocking and being the gatekeepers to what are kind of the difficult decisions mm-hmm. to allow them to kind of do their job as best they mm-hmm. can. I think that frees it up. And then once they start working, I think, you know, not being shy about showing sketches that aren't exact and also pushing back on certain things that Mm. might arise because a client doesn't know better. And it's not Mm -hmm. that they're bad people or they're trying to take advantage of you. But what you see a lot is, hey, I want you to do this lettering. Here's some lettering by an artist I really like. Can you make it look like that? Mm -hmm. It's a really uncomfortable conversation to say, Hey, that artist is is really great. Um, I, mm. I like them too. That that's not my style. You know, maybe you should go to them for it. I'm, you know, I kind of do this. I can do my take on something similar, but this is kind of my thing. That's a hard decision. That's a hard discussion to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that's that's kind of and 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 it's going to go one of two ways. Either the client's going to say, "Oh, you're right. I'm going to go to that that particular artist that does what I like," or Okay, well, show me what you would do, because I think that's that usually comes from inexperience, not that they're trying to be mean or Mm -hmm. make you do something you don't want to do. Yeah. And and what popped up for me there is and what I'd love to hear your thoughts on is discomfort, you know, embracing those, you know, as we were talking about, I think before that we started recording, you know, how honest people can be at Ginger about how they're (laughs) feeling about something, what they think of your work. But I think, you know, to sort of keep this t- centered around mental health, and I think a big facet of our um, emotional well-being is learning to embrace difficult things. You yeah. know, a difficult conversation doesn't mean it's a bad conversation. And in the creative world, that can become very, you know, an artist can either be sort of, they can withdraw or they can sort of become combative in that situation. How do you think artists can embrace those or, you know, engage those better? I am notoriously bad at difficult conversations. It is something I work on actively all the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's, and, and I say that is it's okay. Like I have difficult conversations. I don't like having difficult conversations. I grew up in a Southern family where the house could literally be on fire and you'd be like, no, everything is fine. We don't have difficult conversations. Everything <laughs> is, is fine. fine. Yeah, this is fine. <laughs> that mean. Um, but it's true. You know, you don't have a lot of that in the South. You don't you don't confront things. You do kind of bottle it up. And and so it's taken me a lot of my adult life to kind of work on that. And so I think one, just putting that out there um is is important. And two, there's this notion that I've heard somewhat like that. If you say this one thing, if you say these perfect words back to someone, mm-hmm. then that, that's how that then the conversation will shift and they will say this and they will say that. I think you need to also just embrace that these difficult conversations are messy mm-hmm. and you don't have to mm-hmm. know how to do it. You just need to do it. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. there's no special way, there's no special tools. A lot of time it's just the doing it and it's like anything else, it's just practice and it will get easier. 
Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a quote on this exact thing. I took a picture of it with my phone on my computer screen. Um, <laughs> I like I like what you said. It just reminded me of this quote. This is actually from uh, the guy who's now running a video game called Destiny over at a place called Bungie. Um, a game that's very controversial with gamers because it tends to piss them off constantly. And so this guy's now taking over and he's like, listen... I'm going to stop pissing you guys off and start giving you the stuff you want. He said this, he tweeted this, all the people I want to surround myself with creatively. um, I've also had real difficult moments with as a young dev, it's tempting to shy away from these conversations or just burn the relationships when they get hard, but it's the bonds you forge in the fire that are the strongest. Mm. But I thought that was really good. It's like, it's true. It's like Drew, Drew and I have had some very difficult conversations and, I mean, he once called me a wolf among the chickens he's trying to protect. And don't, don't ask me how we got there, but we got there. It's because I watched the documentary about the farm north of yeah, LA yeah, totally. that I was like, I was in tears over at the end of. But I was like, yeah, yeah. you're the wolf. And the, you're. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, and it, but it, it really caused me to reflect. And like I said earlier, it like helped change my life because I was like, well, if this dude's saying this, I've got to do some inner reflection. And like, sure, when I went down there, I was like, oh man, there's a lot of weeds. I got to pull these. Um, but yeah, it's it's made us very strong. If I was like had a boat and the world was ending, I don't know why I'm using a Noah. Anyway, I'd be like, Drew, you're coming with me. <laughs> Get on the boat. No, it's huge. It's yeah, on this wolf outfit though, because have two. I'm, I know I'm dressed like a wolf. Get on the boat. You're the other one. That's how we, that's how I got you on here. And then I start you know, laughing and jump off the boat as it sinks and get on the real boat. Yeah. In my previous life, I designed Coke Zero Destiny cans. When oh, that nice. game came out. Nice. And then we had two people in the office who got really into the game. And then we would we would write down quotes out of context because they were amazing. Because <laughs> they'd be like, did you see the level three power up at the set? And, you know, we would just just repeating that out of context was like the most amazing thing. Like video game speak because we we're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> it happens all the time in my house with my boys. Just like, well, I used my super on him. Uh, okay cool <laughs> it's like you use the super aren't you just super can you use a super well you can in this game well butler before this transitions oh, right. into a destiny podcast um i guess you know first of all i just want to thank you so much for being so candid and having this conversation with us um i think we touched on a lot of really great points um but my last question for you really tough one i think it's gonna be the hardest one of the whole day um plug anything you want to plug where can people find you if they need you oh yeah well so we no longer are ginger.io we're at least ginger.com so thank thank the lord we are finally we have a proper url (laughs) the .io world was was i just need to know who owned.com i just feel like it was a ginger like tea company or something like that close there are a lot of people named ginger who are into Mm. fitness and who like to have their own fitness blog in the UK <laughs> and do not want to get rid of their URL. No so we're at ginger.com. Oh, no. um, I think I'm just like Butler Looney Instagram. I don't think it's very interesting. It's mostly just pictures of my cat, my son, and food. Um, but yeah, it, most everything I do is, is on our website, and that's where you can see the most of it. We yeah. actually have a section called Ginger Roots, which we did um, during COVID. And what it was is taking our content that used to just be in our app and starting to put it out on the web for anyone to use so it's a lot of mental health resources podcasts uh, videos and kind of activity cards for which we use you guys illustrations um 
that anyone can access. So it's just trying to put some of that back into the world. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you, Butler. This thank was you wonderful. Guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Closer and Closer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to receive the latest episodes. You don't want to miss some of the incredible conversations that we have coming up. They'll be full of powerful insight to help you reach your full creative potential. To find out more about us, visit www.closerandcloser.co.